Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bresky and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action. And welcome to our last show for 2018. And we have our full panel with us, which means Rebecca Lynch from the Wisconsin Working Families Party is with us. Rebecca, welcome. Good to be here, Matt. We've missed you a couple weeks, so it's good to have you. And uh, Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action, joins us. Robert. Good day, everyone. So, as I mentioned, uh, this will be our last show. We're At least a number of us are not, off. Not ever. Not ever. Just just for 2018, we promise we'll be back in 2019. And I want to remind our listeners, uh, coming in 2019, we're going to have a new feature. Or at least we're, we hope to be consistent with it. And that is with our new state treasurer, Sarah Gudluski. She'll be joining us at least once a month for 11 minutes to chat about her experience as the state treasurer, educate us a little bit more about the office, but also hopefully we can do a little co-governing and help support uh, important initiatives that are happening through the state treasurer's office. The other thing that I'd like, and feel free to shoot me email over the holiday uh, going forward, if people have questions that they want to ask ask your state treasurer, um, we'll, we'll do that too. We'll also try to uh, answer any questions uh, that folks may have about the office, because as we all know, we don't know a ton about the office. It was almost eliminated, so we're going to learn a lot in 2019. But with that, we want to talk a little bit about uh, 2018, uh, but specifically, we're going to do it in the context of talking about two political figures that are leaving this year and they're sort of kind of in their farewell tours and um, I was struck by how I think different their careers are and how they're going to be um, evaluated and I wanted to get our panelists um, thoughts on them and then use that as a stepping off point to talk about some of the stuff that one of them Scott Walker uh, has been up to uh, the other is Paul Ryan so Paul Ryan uh, this week uh, there's a lot of speeches, and Paul's doing his best to basically uh, talk about this great legacy he has. But um, I would like to argue that his legacy is actually greatly diminished, especially compared to Scott Walker, who's leaving office, who has this, while I find it devastating and tragic for the state, a very significant actual legislative legacy doing things, whereas Paul Ryan, quite frankly, a lot of... <clears throat> A legacy of hot air. You know, lots of talking about radical restructuring of entitlement programs, all this stuff, you know, brilliant, brilliant policy guy, and quite frankly got very little through other than at the very end a pretty lousy tax cut for the rich. And, um, and we're lucky because, you know, privatizing Medicaid partially. All of that, yeah. Uh, and didn't occur. Uh, the, the attack on Medicaid didn't occur. So Medicare and Medicaid and Social Security was his ultimate goal. So we're, we're fortunate that the whole Iran-Jenna did not go anywhere. Yeah. So so that's that's sort of what I would suggest. And, and right down to the end, he goes out with this big speech and, you know, and the audacity of him to, like, complain about the current environment, which he did very little to stop, enabled, and, and by the way, is being pushed out as the era of Trump taking over the Republican Party is the legacy, whereas Walker's got legitimate stuff to talk about. Yeah, and before Rebecca weighs in, just talk about the venue, the Library of Congress. So, like, the seat of learning, all of the accumulated knowledge in the country's history, as if he was some statesman who actually thought through what the next step in American history ought to be, as, a, as opposed to a cheap ideologue who managed to convince a lot of uh, media and, uh, and create this image somehow that he was a deep thinker. 
that. So, Rebecca, I know you. Uh, this is great. You're on uh, social media going through his Twitter, and it, it's just classic Ryan, right? Like, it's a justification of this supposed brilliant legacy that, quite frankly, doesn't exist. Yeah, I mean, what really strikes me is the insecurity of it all. Uh, and he actually said this week, you know, I'm not some big ego legacy guy. And then proceeds to put out like a six-part treatise on all the great things he did on tax reform, makes that speech, and then his Twitter account is just going on and on, videos, other content, praising his brilliant legacy. So, I mean, they're really trying to drive home a point that... Paul Ryan, you know, allegedly made this huge difference that, again, as, as we noted, he didn't make. And, you know, we know he was frustrated. We know he felt hamstrung. Again, as Robert said, it was a good thing for the American people that that was the case. Um, but really, I think his legacy is one of um, just like repeated embarrassment. You know, during the 2016 presidential election, he told he mentioned um called out Trump's comments as racist, the Muslim ban as racist, and then as soon as uh, Trump was sworn into office as president, completely retreated yes. from that, completely capitulated and retreated and made this like Faustian bargain to try to get his tax reform through because um, that was his like gold star. Since he was you know, drinking out of kegs, he had wanted to do this massive transfer of wealth from the people of America to corporations, and this is what he, this is what he wanted to do. And so he just looked the other way with everything that you know Trump did that he disagreed with that he had previously disagreed with. I mean, enormously embarrassing. Um, you know, I think the last couple years of his of his leadership, and then of course he lost the house. Yeah, right down to like pulling out when when he saw that it was going to be a tough election cycle, and you know, not even sticking around for that fight. You know, in a in his gerrymandered district. Um, yeah, well, and and just and to uh, to underscore that, you know, how um, cowardly and embarrassing that again in his gerrymandered district, he couldn't even bear to show up during the most controversial moments of his speakership. You know, when he tried to t take away health care from millions yeah. of Americans, people in his district were wild with anger yeah. and he wouldn't even bother to do town hall and we had you know mark pocan came down and and met with people in his district because paul ryan was too afraid to meet with his own constituents yeah. well it's even it's deeper even and that is that his whole vision of government this you know nice burnished shiny notion of uh, of the right that somehow we're going to have prosperity and freedom for everyone if we just take all the resources and give it to wealthy people and strip away the power of democracy uh, it was totally discredited because Republicans have, and, and Ryan in particular understood all along when Obama did the Affordable Care Act that it was a threat to their whole vision of government because at it, in its essence, we have to use our democracy to guarantee people a fundamental right. The private market left to its own devices will just profit and won't do it, right, unless regulated, unless we actually do it together. And their attempt to fo fo follow through on his vision, their assumption, their arrogance in believing that the opposition they fomented to parts of the law, the complexity of the law, the failings of some of the law, often because they didn't go far enough, right, w meant they could go and take health care away from 20 to 30 million people. Uh, they were completely rebuked. They had large majorities, a president on board, and they couldn't repeal it. And that's what led to the backlash that led to their loss of Congress. And his, his counterbalance was his tax vision, which which is not very popular, did not help in this election very much because despite all the lies, despite all the Fox News, people understand there was very little for average people, and the bulk of it went to large corporations. And this is at the essence of Ryan and right-wing philosophy right now, that they deserve it. 
that ExxonMobil is somehow meritorious and deserves the money and that they'll do better things with it than average people will. Uh, that's literally, and that, is, that has been the road to ruin and, and economic inequality in this country and the loss of opportunity in the last 40 years. And so we are at a turning point where maybe not just Ryan, because he was a figurehead, but this whole philosophy is on the rocks. Yeah, and I just say, oh, did you want to respond to that, Matt? I mean, just super quickly, you know, I think it's interesting. A lot of people on social media remarked that Paul Ryan's last official move was to try to expand visas for people from Ireland. I, I'm Irish, and I have family in Ireland, and um, I think that the special relationship between the United States and Ireland is critically important, and the um, issues faced by the undocumented Irish also are a really important issue, particularly in New York. But, you know, people remarked, rightly so, that this is white supremacy in action, right? That in this moment, when we are separating families, we are in the middle of this quote-unquote divisive immigration debate um, where Paul Ryan and the like are trying to stir up the worst instincts of the American people to win elections. His last action out the door is to help get more white immigrants into the country. So I think that also is a piece of his legacy. And, you know, I think um, rampant capitalism and uh, white supremacy and, you know, kowtowing to President Trump and cowering from his own constituents is, you know, what he is leaving on his way out the door. And it's and it's really true. He's this his vision of what he thought the party was going to be. I mean, he lost, right? And Trump is th that he's taken over the party, and they're, you know, Ryan sort of, I'll just say it, shiny veneer, which, you know, in the past you might have described as a political skill, like it just it's gone, and and all of this, Robert, you've described as dog whistle, right? It's just straight up white supremacy that he's actually supported, and we have now a white nationalist party uh, that largely has become the party of uh, Trump uh, that we're seeing nationally. Um, yep, yeah, Robert. let's not overstate the differences between them, right? Yeah, Ryan's a little more reasonable in immigration. He was more than happy to divide and conquer in order yeah. to get power and do what he wanted to do. They find it unpleasant that Trump is upfront about it and think it's a danger to the whole movement and they're right. But that, I mean, that's, that's mostly a tactical question, not a question of, of what they're trying to uh, accomplish. Well, yeah, yeah, I'll agree with you. But like tactical is is it's like when I think of tactics, I think kind of small, like it's a pretty big deal to like just go from basically trying to pretend you're moving towards a better society, not sexist, to having a president who's basically outright open about both racism, sexism. And I do believe they paid a huge price in this off year election because of that kind of no shine on their shit. Right. Kind of politics that 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 they have. Uh, and I do think it's it's hurting them. But Robert, your point is well connected. I don't mean to suggest their ends are much different. We got to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the other figure. We're going to talk about Scott Walker. Um, quite frankly, his legacy of success in terms of uh, doing a lot of accomplishing a lot of things legislatively, but also how he went out. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are talking about the legacies of Scott Walker and Paul Ryan. We spent the first uh, section talking about Paul Ryan. We're going to turn to Scott Walker, um, who, you know, uh, we all know, he's got a real track record. There was a lot of stuff that passed um, that, you know, it, and virtually we're talking about someone who governed I'd say 50% plus one. It was just literally divide and conquer um, right down to the end. 
Um, Ryan's giving these speeches, da 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 da. They're jamming through Lame Duck. They're jamming through Kimberly Clark. Uh, it's and and then we'll get to it later, maybe next segment. But you know, then we get the audit on Weedak, right? It's just more of the same of that kind of governing, but like actually governing as opposed to just a lot of talking. Rebecca, your your thoughts on on, on uh, Walker? Yeah, I think I think you could, and Robert will probably refine this a bit, but I think you can kind of uh, divide. Walker's legacy into a couple different categories and one that really strikes me is just his attack on small d democracy and I think you can't talk about his legacy without talking about voter ID without talking about gerrymandering even as recently as this lame duck session pushing through the attack on early voting and we'll talk a little bit more about that but you know he would not have been able to accomplish quote unquote accomplish all of the other things that he did were it not for this dramatic voter suppression and really trying to undermine the right of Wisconsinites to, to vote and weigh in on, on what he's doing. So that to me is a huge part of his legacy. I think, you know, we talk about it a lot on the show, but the massive transfer of wealth uh, that, you know, Governor Walker took from the people of Wisconsin and gave to large corporate donors over and over and over again. And Foxconn obviously is the largest, most uh, most recent, most egregious example. You know, we can talk about Kimberly Clark as well. But just the entire legacy of WIDEC, um is really remarkable, all the while defunding public education, defunding other public resources. And so that, to me, is, is a huge part of his legacy. And then, of course, kind of tied to both, you know, limiting people's liberty and small-d democracy and transferring, um, you know, people's liberty in terms of wealth is mass incarceration and just, like, the legacy of mass incarceration that he's leaving behind. And so I, I think, um, really, he's done an enormous amount of damage to this state, it is structural. It's going to take generations to undo it. I think we can, but really, um, really devastating impact on what was once, um, you know, a very civically engaged, uh, you know, progressive place to live where people had, you know, good wages and healthcare and, and all the rest. And so, um, you know, I think Tony Evers and Mandela Barnes have their work cut out for them, e you know, even if they didn't have a divided government, which of course we do. Well, yeah, it, I, Rebecca's right to talk about it being structural and taking a long time to overcome. In fact, it's going to be hard to overcome because his minions are still in the state legislature and Robin Voss is still there trying to block any further progress. But oh, that, we'll talk more about Robin Voss later, right? But <laughs> that was the goal. The goal of the right-wing conspiracy is to change the whole structure and undermine it and sabotage it. it, it I mean, so sabotaging health care, which general voters now understand very well in a visceral way is actually explains a lot of the other activities. So let's undermine the UW system. Let's lower wages permanently and dramatically, not just by attacking unions, but the living wage law in Wisconsin statute that Wisconsin led the way on it from 1911, he repealed, just for example. And it goes on and on and on, right? Uh, the UW is still furloughing and laying off uh, professors. The DNR lost its scientists. I mean, you, you, it would take a long time to go through this. Our economic development uh, decision is going to be made by unelected people like the CEO of WEDEC, Mark Hogan. And uh, they actually set it up in the lame duck so he can't even be changed the leadership of WEDEC Evers until the end of the year, till next September. So we can talk about what Great they might want to do during, during that leadership. And so and if you defund everything, you destroy the revenue base for everything, and you undermine investments for years, I mean, you essentially pillage 
over 100 years of progress in Wisconsin, uh, it's very hard to repair. And obviously, we needed to build on it in order to deal with the challenges of the 21st century. So mass incarceration didn't start with, with Scott Walker. Racial inequality didn't. He made them worse. Um, and in fact, child poverty was up 20% in the last year measured in Wisconsin. So that's a perfect example of what the Walker economy is about. Nice little economic indicators, but for average, for people who need it most, you got poor children getting worse, right? And uh, 80 almost 80% of African Americans living in Milwaukee County do not live, and that's where most African Americans in Wisconsin live, don't make a survival wage. That's according to uh, the UW. So those are the legacies. The problem is that we have to make government work again, and that's hard work, and it's hard to work when the other saboteurs are still holding half the government and held office through gerrymandering, another structural change they made in order to hold power, whether they won elections or won the popular vote or not. Yeah, I mean, I was sorry, I was just going to say, just look at you know, the legacy of what has happened under his tenure, the loss of good jobs, as you mentioned, the rise in child poverty. I would mention the opioid crisis. I would say the devastation wreaked on our rural communities. You know, young people leaving not only those communities, but fleeing the state. You know, this has all happened under Governor Walker. Very little has been done to fix it. In fact, I would say his policies have greatly exacerbated that. So, But he, but he did those ads on L's in Chicago and the, and the coasters and bars in the cool north side of Chicago, trying to get the knowledge work of millennials to move up to cool Wisconsin. Yeah. He did do that. I want to <laughs> add one thing that I think is really critical about Walker, and it was right from the beginning, and I think it was one of the most brilliant things he did, and it was that Walker, he he came about a lot of what we <clears throat> you all just talked about by understanding the role of institutions within political movements and understanding who his enemies were, um, us included, but uh, labor, um, civil justice attorneys, Planned Parenthood, uh, people from Milwaukee and Madison. And he went on the attack structurally going after the organization within labor right away, right? Act 10, right to work, a long history. First thing he did within the first week or two of uh, being governor was go after the trial lawyers, go after their ability to raise resources, right? They were an a critical part of the progressive uh, movement and opposition uh, to the Republicans. Everybody knows what he's gone after Planned Parenthood, literally going after their funding, going after uh, that critical piece of the movement. I mean, it's a, a fundamental women's health, uh, a very, very important part of the Democratic Party. And then, of course, just the assault upon Milwaukee that has been just it, it's just been never ending. And uh, we'll we'll talk more. It just continues with uh, Evers' first appointments, and they're just efforts to make Milwaukee as if as if it's Canada or something or oh. some other place <laughs> outside of the country, right? Um, but that to me is one of his biggest legacies and the things that he did very well um, that led to a lot of his successes. He just destroyed a lot of our institutions. And going forward, it's why I, I am so committed to changing the kind of people we elect, but also our organizing cooperatives and the thought that like we have got to rebuild organization in the state on the left. And it doesn't mean we have to rebuild our organizations exactly like labor has to be rebuilt exactly the same way. Everything rebuilt. No, we should, we ought to redesign them in a, in a way that meets the movement and the and the values we all hold, and and so that's why I believe our co-ops are so important. But to me, that's Walker's greatest legacy is destroying our movement. And by the way, in an election that was a landslide, that like so much 
should have been, we won by like, you know, just this side of a coin flip. Well, right? because, because of spent, our organizations. And because they spent more than ever has ever been spent by candidate for governor. And Tony Evers was vilified with more money and more sleeves than you yeah. can imagine. And he still lost. But let me just say, I think you're giving unintentionally Walker a little bit too much credit for the conspiracy. He needs to be understood as he was the implementer. And he needs to be understood as a um, as a highly ambitious uh, person, kind of a an opportunist. And what he understood is what actions the right would excite the right and make him a national figure because he wants to move on and be president. So they've done all this work, the Bradley Foundation, the various co-conspiracy, like the lame duck, this was already cooked nationally. He's been brilliant at, and I'm not saying someone called him and told him to do it. He, what, he, he's, he's better than that. He figures out in contact with those pokes. You heard it in the famous fake Koch brother phone call, what they want, and figures out how to do it and to say, here I am, support me, I'm your guy. And that was reflected by the money he raised in this election, was spent on his behalf. So he's a, a very important figure to take a total structure. I'm just talking about... He, in a way, he's just a high-level political opportunist who is in this late-stage right-wing malignant movement and understands how to become a hero in it by following a lot of things they developed for him and they had access to because the movement existed and the structures like the Bradley Foundation had figured it out for years, the whole agenda and the whole approach. I, th I think you're right. I think that the real danger are the Madison Republican political operatives and the folks at these think tanks and lobbying firms who work with them who are still there. So while, you know, they're, um, you know, the horse that they were backing is gone or the, right. the face they had in front of us, I mean, they're still there. And, and lame duck is evidence of that, right? That the folks who work for Voss and, you know, work in the Senate, work in the Assembly, work um, in, you know, in the governor's administration, they don't disappear. They're still here with their ideas and their connections and their resources. And they're not going to give up without a fight. And I, I do think that that's a really important point. I totally agree. Not going to argue about the important structures behind. But I'm telling you, I, I remember I, I, when there were 100,000 people at the Capitol, everyone was convinced he was going to back down. Didn't happen. And Walker chose that. There were tons of Republicans who thought he was going to back down. Walker was a unique figure, and it does, and, and, and he made it happen. I mean, there were a lot of things put in place for a lot of other more brilliant people, like the guy we talked about last hour, Paul Ryan, who couldn't deliver, actually. Now, maybe didn't have all the same political environment, but Walker, I do think, you know, was a very unique figure right down to the end, right down to the end, not one single line item veto. With that, though, we are late to go to break. Uh, it was a great conversation. You're listening to Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We had a great conversation talking about the difference between the legacies and just the actors and Paul Ryan and Scott Walker. And we need to keep talking about Scott Walker because... Um, we got to do a little lame duck fallout, a uh, couple things. Um, I want to get Robert's comments on the early voting lawsuit, which <clears throat> the motion was filed uh, last week after we recorded. Um, so want to talk about that, but then also want to just talk about how shocked I am to read this article this week that was in the State Journal about the Republican legislators being surprised how upset people were. And how much blowback there is over the lame duck votes and that they're really having a hard time going back and talking about this. It's like, really? Really? You, you guys are surprised. But anyways, before we get into that, 
conversation. Robert, update on the early voting lawsuit, uh, the motion that was filed uh, in the previous case. So Walker signed the early voting restrictions on Friday. Uh, Citizen Action Wisconsin, one Wisconsin Now Institute, other individual plaintiffs, including our organizer, Anita Johnson, uh, had one had gotten them struck down as unconstitutional in federal court in a case that's still alive and on appeal on other elements of voter suppression that are that are in the suit. And so it's our it's our opinion, our lawyer's opinion that um, uh, that this is unconstitutional and violates the judge's order, that there is no, they didn't give any sufficient or even credible legal rationale why they can reimpose early voting restrictions. And do remember, even though votes count equally, right, uh, that the votes that at 1.30 in the morning put Evers over the top were early votes in Milwaukee, which is obviously, so this is like retaliation. We're going to shut down that early voting. Uh, but be that as it may, it's possible to simply ask federal judge Peterson in the Western District of Wisconsin uh, to stay enforcement of this law to block it because the violation was original ruling. And so that's what we did, and we are very hopeful that this is a great case and that we will have full early voting available to municipalities in the spring elections. And so there was a ton of press. Eric Holder's organization is helping support this, and, and, uh, which is great to have that resource. And so it was, it was national news that this, is the, this was the first major piece of litigation around the lame duck session. It probably will not be the last. I know others are looking at other areas. Uh, we, I also happen to know that uh, some of the Medicaid rules, like the work requirements and the like, are probably illegal in federal law, and, that, and there's likely to be litigation there as well. And I'm sure other areas that, that I'm less in the loop on. Yeah. So, well, first of all, thanks. Thanks for that update. We'll, we'll obviously keep that going. I think that's one of the easiest cases, right? Like that they're super weak on and Voss's original response. Well, hey, look, they can sue us if they'd like. Kind of like, we know they're going to sue us. This is not uh, likely to stand up. Um, so thanks for that update. Uh, additional, I don't know, Rebecca, you, you were not here. I don't know if you have any other thoughts on the lame duck. I mean, I, just this notion that Republican legislators would be surprised uh, that they actually have to go home and talk about what they did. They can't just set out these press releases. Um, I'm struck, though, also by the contradictions in their arguments, and they're each making different arguments. Like one, oh, we didn't really do anything. And the other thing, well, we had to actually balance power. Well, <laughs> those are two very different arguments. I don't know if, if you had any thoughts on Lame Duck since you haven't been with us um, before we switch topics. I, I just uh, have a couple quick, like, strategic thoughts for us on the left. Um, you know, I understand the need to have pivoted to focusing on Governor Walker once the bills were passed and there was some hope that he might veto it, understanding, as we talked about in the last segment with Act 10, that, of course, he's going to no do what he wants to do. line-item vetoes. Right. Um, but, you know, I think... It is critically important for all of us to be with a single sharp message and on the same page and that Robin Voss is an excellent foil and that if we are going to aid Tony Evers and Mandela Barnes in being the type of gubernatorial administration we want th that administration to be, then like we really need to do our part because that is not a role that they can take on. And like he is such an excellent foil. He is so supremely dislikable. So that, that's the first tactical thing. And the second is I think that there's a lot of really important organizing to do um, in many of these um, state Senate Republican districts. And I fully understand that these are very gerrymandered districts that we're not necessarily going to win 
a lot or most of these seats in 2020. I think there's interesting conversations to be had about 2020, but you know, I'm not, my head isn't in the clouds, but I think that it is critically important that the constituents of this district know exactly what is happening and that there's a drumbeat and that it doesn't stop. Be and I think it's important for a couple reasons. One, we will have new lines at some point. And so we, these districts that are not very competitive might suddenly be competitive. The same people, just like different lines, right? So we need to be talking to those people. We can't wait until we have those new lines. So we have to think ahead a little. We have to think, <laughs> we absolutely have to think ahead. And then the, the secret, and we talked about this um, after the election, but I fir firmly believe that part of the secret to winning uh, the gubernatorial this cycle were people like Chris Rolfe who are running in gerrymandered, possibly unwinnable districts, but talked to voters who hadn't been talked to in a long time and got them out to vote. And there is no reason why these really brave and principled candidates need to be um, out there on their own when it's time to run. We should be doing the legwork now to engage folks and organize in places where we have it. And so obviously um, we all do that, every organization in different ways. Um, my hope is that you know this will be from the top. Um, you know the Democratic Party and left-wing leaders um, outside the Democratic Party on down. That our messaging is consistent and it is across the board, and that we are continuing to talk to folks because this this lame duck is just one of many things that will happen, and it will be like a tree falling in the forest if we do not highlight it. So th those are my two thoughts on that. So, you know how it said that when there's an abuse of power, the abuse hurts the abuser as well as the recipient of the abuse, right? And so they have had eight years of uh, unchecked power. Uh, the, the Republicans have, and they've gotten used to this high-handed kind of approach. And so it's shocking to them that they did something that has such a great stench in the lame duck after an election, trying to hamstring a new governor who has the full mandate of the people as wanting an election to hamstring him before he can take office, that that somehow was was going to be controversial, right? And 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 look bad. I mean, they seem to be stunned. They had they didn't have consistent messages, though it may be there's a inconsistency between the assembly and senate message, which is something to look forward to, uh, since you were seeing that division more and more in the late Walker years uh, when we look at a budget impasse, which is probably going to happen with Governor Evers over Medicaid expansion at the heart of it. Uh, but so they they. They're used to just being able to do it. And, you know, a lot of the media and the Capitol Press Corps, to be honest, Aiden abetted that. Because I'm telling you, every time we had a press conference at the Capitol about some abuse, uh, one of the questions would always be, often the second or third question, even the first, well, you can be all upset about this, but you can't really do anything about it, can you? They can just do it. So there was kind of this, they had the power, so therefore right might makes right. And so... The lame duck is an overstep, obviously. They were not prepared with crisis communication on this, though we cannot expect them, given their resources, not to try to figure that out and do better at it. But in a way, they're upset because their true motives and their true character was revealed in the lame duck. The lame duck sort of strips the bark off it and tells you this, this is a, these are naked power grabs, and they have been all along. So we should continue talking a little bit about Robin Voss because <clears throat> I think, Rebecca, you made a really excellent point about he is the new central figurehead. We're done talking about Walker. Done. He's, uh... Well, unless he becomes <laughs> interior secretary. We, we don't talk about federal issues on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Those boring federal interior issues. Yes, that's somebody else's problem. No, let's talk about Robin Voss. Um, Robert, you mentioned on last week's show that this is a guy who clearly is now the leader of the Republican movement. He has clear interests in uh, running for governor. 
a one an influential Madisonian lobbyist told me he has the inside track for the Republican nomination for governor. That's a quote from the lobbyist. And so his interests will be to play towards that primary base and and start to solidify that, which does not necessarily create the kind of dynamic you're looking for in legislating. And so yesterday, um, we record Thursday mornings. Uh, Governor-elect Evers and uh, Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes announced uh, the beginning, the first five cabinet appointments, and they were all from Milwaukee. They were from Wisconsin's largest city. That's that's right. That's right. And and the response of 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 the conservatives and and Voss in particular, but Republicans in general, was ridiculous. Right? It was it was classic what we talked about before, this attack on Milwaukee, this idea that somehow Milwaukee is not a part of the state and that the largest, most populous area, and by the way, the Democrats did win and it's a Democratic area, somehow should not be have this kind of representation. Um, Voss, I just want to read this. Voss, Voss tries to, you know, normally uh, this is the kind of thing you send out congratulations, right? And they, this is the time when there'd be, there's a lot of ob- normally in politics, <laughs> obligatory, like, oh, congratulations, we look forward to working with you. He first says, I would like to congratulate the new cabinet secretaries, and then immediately goes on to complain that while they're well-qualified, they lack significant state governing experience, and then he goes on to blast Evers and basically say that um, that uh, the, he's greatly disappointed that they were from Milwaukee, tries to make some weird, ridiculous charge <laughs> One of the appointments was made because he was a brother-in-law and somebody on the transition team. It's just like really like we can't even announce the names of public citizens who stepped up to become, you know, step up in the administration. And we're going to have this kind of garbage. It just shows what we got here in Wisconsin. Robert, I'm going to get everyone's comments on the back and we're going to talk more about Voss, talk more about this, talk more about WEDEC. But we got to take a break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. We're talking about Robin Voss, the Republicans, their response to Eber's announcement of the cabinet picks, and we will then get into Weedek and Foxconn this week. Your thoughts, folks, on basically them blowing a gasket over Milwaukee being involved in the next administration? Well, it doesn't show a lot of dignity. This is not statesmanship or stateswomanship. It's more along the lines of, you know, the the in high school, like the the kid in school that doesn't like you very much, and you and you get something, and then they give you a fake congratulation in the hallway. Well, congratulations, Rebecca, on your big promotion. I'm sure you're very happy. <laughs> I mean, that's basically basically the level of it. I don't know who this is appealing to, other than some notion that he needs to keep his base revved up, so he's the leader of this backlash so he can be the nominee for governor. I mean, that's, that's, that's all I that's can... That's it, because yeah. I'm sorry if I'm somebody in one of those suburban Wauwatosa... Uh, Wauwatosa, I'll just say it, Wauwatosa, suburban districts, right, that there are about three or four potential assembly seats up in 2020 that were within a point or two. This kind of garbage just, like, does not play. And it just seems like more of the same garbage that people would like to get away from. And the audacity of him at the end suggesting somehow that 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 this shows that 
political connections are more important than anything else after what we've seen from them? It's just... No, to, to play on my analogy, that they, they, they'd also throw in in the high school hallway. And Rebecca, I'm sure it didn't hurt that your boyfriend was on the committee that chose you. I mean, that... <laughs> a critical committee. Um, my, my favorite, uh, one of my favorite things about these appointments, I just wanted to point, point out, is the DNR appointee, Preston Cole, yes. who, uh, in being appointed, announced that he was going to lean on science in his... God forbid! <laughs> that is a progressive value. I so know. <laughs> That's fighting words. We can't have science coming to <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. Could you imagine if, like, the 1970s, someone got up, I'm going to lean on science and be like, great, thanks, Einstein. You know, like, could you tell us what you're actually going to do? But that's a legitimate, actual statement of, like, confidence. Since there's been no war on Christmas, but there has been a war on science, it is controversial. Sorry, Rebecca. No, no, that's fine. I mean, yeah, that, I, that's really all I really have to say. I mean, I think... Um, you know, Forrester by training, son of sharecroppers. I think he's going to do a great job. But really, that that was the headline, and that was that's such a marked change from the Walker administration to the Evers administration. So, and know, by the way, he's being widely praised by envi uh, environmental former environmentalists, people involved who used to work for the DNR. I'm sure, I mean, sure they're thrilled just to hear science is going to matter again. Scientists are very happy with the choice. So does that mean global warming is going back on the DNR website? Remember, it was stripped. <laughs> it, it is worth it is worth pointing out that he does have past experience in the Doyle administration. Actually, was kept on in the early Walker administration, and Walker said something very nice about him and that he would be an excellent appointment. And that he, believe it or not, he's off message, Robert. He said that he would be great for the entire state of Wisconsin and cares deeply about the whole state. I was like, wow, you didn't talk to Voss with your messaging. <laughs> <laughs> so we got we to talk about Weedek uh, before we go. And it's not just Weedek. It's Weedek and Foxconn, right? We, Two of our this, this is like an unholy alliance. And the first person, yesterday afternoon, I was working on my 2019 plan, and I saw a press advisory come out I don't even know who the two Republican legislators were of the relevant committee that's supposed to be overseeing. It was Cowles and Kirkman. Thank you, Cowles and, Cowles and Kirkman. Kirkman, and basically somehow st bravely saying that they were thrilled to see that this audit had come out and protected the taxpayers before anything got out. I'm like, what? This this can't be good. I actually read it, and of course it was terrible. You know, Weedek is clearly not even is not even going to follow up to the contract that said that they would track where workers are from and so that technically people wouldn't even have to be working on the site in the area or much less the state um unbelievable i, I do believe it's Cal like a simple this is like really really simple i do believe cal's voted against some of the lame ducks so maybe he has a, a case here as far as weed act here but Here's the thing. We've been saying since the beginning, I said in our original testimony against Foxconn, that you're trusting WEDEC, this failed privatized agency. It's not failed because it's badly run. It's because the whole concept is flawed. Yeah. Outsourcing our economic development policy, that is the economic interest of the entire state to a few corporate cronies, is not a good idea. But it also <laughs> is poorly run. Well, or <laughs> it's that, deliberate. Yes. You begin to wonder whether... The, no, I seriously. You begin to wonder whether there's no intent to make sure the jobs are actually created because the point is to hand out the money. And you have to, with Foxconn, uh, the CEO, Mark Hogan, who's Seems to be the worst of the group, which is really saying something. We've had our we've had Jaden. We've on. had public Jeez. tilts. Well, Jaden came out against uh, some of this stuff later yeah. after his yeah. incompetency of his first 
jump off. Remember, we had a public fight with Hogan when they claimed to have created jobs in the Sherman Park area and had not, and it was like fake on the map. They were in Waukesha. Uh, but this Hogan guy has been awful in the press set, saying things such as, we don't have to have scrutiny over Foxconn because they're a brilliant company, a big monster corporation, you know what they're doing? Well, the fact that the contract allows payments to for jobs created not in the in Wisconsin is oh I don't I don't think the contract does I think the audit bureau found them that they were violating the own the contract that said they were supposed to be tracking this I could be wrong I need to take a closer look at it but like the whole thing stinks Robert no it says they planned uh, to give uh, basically to give tax Ugh. credits for employees who not from work in Wisconsin now here's the interesting thing we've wondered and I know Rebecca has a lot of thoughts on this but we've wondered why they went to these huge lengths in the lame duck to make sure that Mr. Hogan, CEO of WIDEC, can't be replaced until September. And one speculation people have, I and some others around the Capitol have, is, is that they actually know that the contract's being violated by Foxconn, and this may be the violation. This is the next piece. I should do this Rachel Maddow style, <laughs> and we do it step by step by step. And this would give WIDEC under Hogan the ability to renegotiate the contract at Foxconn so that they're not in violation by the time Evers has any control or authority, and it, literally nine months into his governorship. I mean, you know, this is a story that will continue to evolve and, and be outrageous, and I think... You know, there was also some news, and I'm sorry I don't know all the details, but I think since the last show there there was some news on the water, too, at Foxconn, right? There was something about... Um, I totally missed that. Yeah, I there, there's always Foxconn news believe, every week. Yeah. Given that they got waivers on a lot of their um, standards that they were going to have to have. Yeah, so, you know, I think um, it'll continue tracking um, and... and you know, the Evers administration will, will do the best they can. I mean, I think we have to keep the pressure on. I think this is like similar to what I was saying earlier with the, the lame duck and the Republican administration. Even if we can't, even if those lines are gerrymandered, we still need to make sure the constituents know and the few Democrats that are in those districts know what is happening and are informed. And even if we can only do so much with Foxconn and WIDEC, given what happened during lame duck, we still need to make sure that the people of Wisconsin know what is happening. And along the way, there are going to be so many failures um, with this Foxconn, so many you know, almost like borderline corrupt things that happen, and we just need to make sure that people know about it so that at the point where we can actually do something about it and make change in how we do economic development, people will be informed and fired up. Well, you know, we have a very educated statewide audience for Battleground Wisconsin, mm -hmm. so go to the Citizen Action Wisconsin Facebook page if you know what happened with the water, because I heard something too, but don't know the details, <laughs> and, and just put on the Battleground Wisconsin podcast post of this week uh, what happened with the water. I'm sure a lot of our listeners actually know, but I'm sure it's hundreds of millions of uh, gallons more water uh, than, than even they, they've been claiming. As we don't even have the plant they're promising, there is indications also this week, and this has been, in, as usual, international media first, that they want to hire a lot of foreign workers. So this and bring them in to Wisconsin. I'm not against you know, that. I mean, we're, we're not, we, we are for diversity and for immigration on Battleground Wisconsin. But let's be clear with the public what's going on. There are a lot of people shut out of the economy. Uh, it, particularly in southeast Wisconsin, they're doing nothing to prepare them for these jobs. I mean, not nothing, but not, not enough to actually make the jobs available. There are some people working very hard to, to try to fix this with limited resources, but we actually could employ a lot of people who are in deep poverty if we actually invested in that and removed the barriers, but we're not doing that. So I'm going to wrap up this conversation because I'm going to bring back uh, an old part of the show mm -hmm. for our final two minutes. 
that is the weekend furlough. <laughs> um, it's the holiday furlough, and <laughs> I want to know what Robert wants Santa to bring him for Christmas. Um, well, since my mother requires me to pick out a gift out of the L.L. Bean catalog. It can only be the L.L. Bean catalog. I don't know why. For yourself? Uh, yes. You have okay. to pick out your own gift because she can't go out and shop anymore. <laughs> so really fancy uh, bright hiking jacket so I won't get shot by the hunters when I'm hiking. But in, <laughs> accidentally, of course. Of course. Um, I did, as an early Christmas present, um, get uh, the, the, the Echo Dot, you know, the cheapest Alexa. Nice. And I can verify... That if you say, Alexa, play Battleground Wisconsin podcast, it comes right up on TuneIn. So everyone, for, with your Alexa smart speakers, you can listen anytime. And Alaska, Alexa knows who we are. So that's real credibility. Uh, I guess when you've been around for as long as we have, even Alexa knows who you are. Rebecca, what do you want Santa to bring you? Well, I already got a gift. Um, my friend and neighbor, uh, Ari, got me for Hanukkah um, a Carol Anderson book. Um, I think it was uh, One Person, No Vote. So I got a signed copy of that book. I haven't read it yet, but that's what I'll be reading over the holidays, I think. So. Well, that's excellent. And I want to thank or congratulate, I guess would be the word, congratulate Rebecca, who is was elected to our Citizen Action Board uh, last weekend at our annual meeting. So we're really excited to have you on our board. You'll bring great insight uh, and help us uh, chart a great uh, course in the future. So I wanted to let our listeners know. So take all your complaints to Rebecca. She can bring them right to the board. <laughs> um, but with that, oh, what do, you want? what do I want? That's a good question. You know what I want? Uh, it's it's really what I need at the moment. My, my Pontiac vibe is... Really, really, it's choking. <laughs> and I need a car desperate. And so I'm actually, I've looked at a number of options. I actually think I'm going to go buy another Vibe. I'm going to go buy a used Vibe. So I've been looking at Vibes all over the country because I just know they're good cars. So if I can get some with about 100,000 miles, I know I got another 100,000 on it. So, And it can haul my trailer, which is ultimately what I need. And it can park in these tight parking spots here on the... Third Ward of Milwaukee. But with that, we got to wrap up the show. We want to thank all our listeners uh, who've been listening all year. We'll be back next year. It should be a very exciting year, a challenging year, but some real opportunities for us. And uh, we hope to uh, engage you in good conversation going forward in 2019. We want to thank our producer, Brian Wildrich, who makes the podcast and show every week happen. It doesn't happen without him. Thank you, Brian Wildrich. And we'll see you next year here at the Battleground, Wisconsin.